Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Audio bandwidth for Security Now is provided by AOL Music and Spinner.com, where you can get free MP3s, exclusive interviews, and more. Video bandwidth for Security Now is provided by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson, episode 243, for April 8, 2010. Subverted SSL. Security Now is brought to you by GoToMeeting, the affordable way to meet with clients and colleagues. For your free 30-day trial, visit GoToMeeting.com slash Security Now. And by Astaro. Contact Astaro at www.astaro.com or call 877-4ASTARO to schedule a free trial of an Astaro Security Gateway appliance in your business. time for security now the show that's covering all your security needs online and off privacy too well we don't talk about it actually we could i don't see any reason why we wouldn't talk about lock picking but we haven't done it yet with us right now the king of security our man in charge mr steve gibson the guy at grc the gibson research corp grc.com creator of SpinRight, world's finest hard drive and maintenance utility and also uh, many other free utilities and uh and 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 he's here to help us understand why everything's so mess up. Hello, it's Stephen. Funny you, it's funny you mentioned lock picking because there was a lock that I ran across just the other day that I seriously considered uh, bringing up in security now. You it's see, this amazing new master lock where, which is user programmable and you can set your own combination of any length that you want. And I thought, okay, wait a minute. How how are they doing this? Wow. It's a hash. Oh, it's, clever. It's a mechanical hash. And, of course, we know all about hashing and how you can, by the, by the nature of a hash, you're able to reduce a document of any length into a resulting hash. Mm-hmm. Well, the master lock people, and I'm sure this thing's got patents till next, you know, till the next decade or century, um, they came up with a way of creating a mechanical hash of a combination that you put in. So you run through the sequence that you want to use to open the lock, and then you say, I'm done. And that leaves the whole bunch of little wacky wheels in a certain pattern. And then subsequently, when it comes to unlock the lock, if you are able to duplicate exactly that set of sequences, oh, and, and it uses... Just a simple up, down, left, right, like a little joystick thing on the front. So it's like up, up, down, left, left, right, left, up, down, you know, like whatever sequence you want. And it essentially memorizes that, but it doesn't do it like by memorizing every action you took because I don't know how you do that mechanically. Instead, it ends up building a hash out of your actions so that if you're able to repeat them, you'll get the same result and the lock will open. So... That's anyway. very cool. So I have just presented it. You see? Group. You see? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. Well, Thanks it's funny. for bringing it up. Because when you go to something like, um, you know, uh, the Black Hat Conferences or DEF CON or yep. uh, a HOPE, there's, there's often lock picking demonstrations. Hackers love, you know, the idea of picking locks for some reason. So 
I, I guess it was just a matter of time. And it's not that hard, but you know, that's another, that's another <laughs> that's a story for another, another episode. Another matter. Yeah. We don't, maybe we don't want to get into that. So what are we doing uh, today? We're going to talk, we were going to be continuing our series on how computers work. Okay. But a paper, an academic paper got published by a couple young PhDs. Actually, one's a, a candidate um, at the um, uh, University of Indiana describing their rather distressing discovery that SSL, the and slash, you know, TLS, transport layer security and secure sockets layer, is unfortunately not guaranteeing that we are not being eavesdropped on, oh which is one of the fundamental benefits of using SSL technology. We've talked about it many times in different contexts, how thanks to the nature of the so-called PKI, the public key infrastructure, where a certificate authority signs a web server's certificate, which the web server sends to our browser when we browse to that site, we're able to rely upon the fact that we're really at the site that we believe we are. So that provides authentication and the fact that we've established a unhackable, unpenetratable, uneavesdroppable, encrypted, secure connection between our browser and that web server. Well, it turns out that none of those things are true. Oh. So we're going to discuss uh, this rather distressing bit of news. Oh, dear. Yeah. Subversion of the SSL infrastructure, our topic yep. today on security. Now, we also have some security news we want to get to in just a little bit. And uh, um, errata. And I know uh, you have an iPad, so I'm very curious what you think about it. I don't know if we're ready to talk about the security of the iPad, but uh, we can certainly talk about the iPad as a Kindle replacement because you're a big Kindle fan. Well, and the fact is I've gotten, I've gotten, where did my vocabulary go? I've received a great deal of email from our listeners saying, so what do you think? And I said, well, well, we'll, we'll cover that on security now. So absolutely. But before we do that, can we cover GoToMeeting? By the way, GoToMeeting does have an iPad uh, application, which I think is really a neat idea. I mean, you can meet on your iPad mobily. Which is very calm, uh, cool. You know, in business, we all have to meet with clients and colleagues. It's just part of the deal. I do a lot of meetings, find myself on the phone a lot because I'm trying to save the money on business travel. I mean, business travel is so expensive. American Express study says uh, that the uh, average cost of a business trip, and they should know because people use Amex cards uh, for business travel, is $1,000 for one trip. 1000 bucks when you include hotel, airfare, meals, taxis. That's why you should, hookers. That's why you should consider having no. I'm just kidding. just kidding on that. Just kidding. Strip clubs. If you're in the uh, Republican National Committee, uh, I wasn't going to say that. Yes. <laughs> that was two thousand. What we were talking about. <laughs> That's why you should consider having your meetings online instead. With GoToMeeting, think of all the money they'd be saving if they did that. Just forty nine dollars a month for unlimited meetings. I think the experience experience would be as vivid. No. no. <laughs> However, you might get more work done, and I think that's the point of GoToMeeting. It's more effective. You start GoToMeetings with just one click of the mouse. Your meeting starts in seconds. Now your clients, your colleagues, your customers are seeing your screen on their desktop. So they can file, follow along as you go through your PowerPoint presentation, your keynote, too, because it works with Mac or PCs. 
Um, and as I said, with the iPad as well. This includes 49 bucks a month voice over IP and telephone conferencing. So that's great. That's free. Totally secure. I know your security now folks are very interested in that. 128-bit SSL encryption. There has never been a remote exploit with any of the Citrix products. For sales presentations, for product demos, for training sessions, for collaborating on documents, there is nothing better. Go to meeting.com. Go to meeting.com slash security now. will get you set up with a 30-day free trial account. I really am uh, thrilled that Citrix does this because there really is no better way. You know, I can tell you until I'm blue in the face, but trying it free, that just does it for you. You can see whether this would work for you. I want you to go to gotomeeting.com slash security now and get that 30-day trial. Go to meeting. Saves you money, saves you time, makes you more effective. What more do you need? All right, Steve. Oh, by the way, we thank Citrix because they've been great supporters of this show for a very, very long time. Are they uh, network-wide or security now only? They are network-wide, but, ah, uh, but they particularly like this show because uh, they Makes know sense. they're talking to IT professionals and, you know, people who make these kinds of buying decisions. Yeah. They listen to security now. And, of course, since Citrix is so secure, I think that's a good tie-in there, too. So, uh, do we have a rata before we... we do, well, we got security news. Um, uh, pretty much the standard <laughs> standard lineup of folks. Um, Firefox surprised the world, however, by already updating again oh since last week when we talked about um, the, uh, ver the upgrade to, or the update to 3.6.2, which happened at the end of March. Um, five days later, they were again at 3.6.3. Now, I'm glad that, that they have this policy. I think it's increasingly clear that the Microsoft and, you know, second Tuesday of the month updating policy is beginning to fail in light of the evolving threat model that we're seeing where, where attacks are becoming more and more targeted. It means that you really can't wait 30 days to have these things fixed. So, I'm pleased that that the Mozilla folks doing, you know, maintaining Firefox when they find a problem that is, you know, sufficiently troublesome, they don't care if they did it 5 days ago, they fix it immediately and push out an update. I think that's kind of the accepted norm in open source software. There's just no you don't hold back. You get it out the minute you've got a fix. Yeah, well, and so they have. Um they have a memory corruption flaw that could be exploited to inject and execute malicious code provided by the attacker. So, you know, that's as bad as it gets. One of the standard, you know, send you a link in email, and if you're using Firefox, your machine is owned, as yeah. they say. They also took the opportunity, I thought was kind of cool, to fix a problem that's, that's sort of floated around the net. It, it, it's considered an information leak vulnerability, and you've probably run across it before. I don't think we've talked about it, Leo. And that is, there was a way that websites could learn where you had been before. Because web browsers, as we know, color visited links differently than never visited links. Right. And so there was a way that that using scripting, a website could could present some links and learn what color they were on your browser page 
and obtain that information back to the web server. Wow. So the problem was they they hadn't this had been sort of lurking as a known kind of oh well that's kind of not so good. I mean it's not like a horrible problem, but still you'd like you know you'd like to keep that information to yourself and not have sites you visit have any way of knowing you know what your habits are and where you may have visited before. So that they fixed finally. They came up with a way of fixing it that didn't break other things, which is what had kept them from doing anything about it until now. So that also got fixed with version 3.6.3, which is where we are now with Firefox. Uh, that is, <laughs> as of the date of this recording, that may be stale soon, yeah. but <laughs> who <if> knows? So, <laughs> yeah. That's more power to them. Um, I noted on one of my machines that the Java runtime environment was telling me that it needed to update. And so I wanted to advise our listeners of that to look in their tray. Normally, if you've got the so-called JRE, the Java Runtime Environment, installed, it will, you know, it's it's keeping track and looking for updates. Um, it was a relatively important update. Um, just reading from the, the SANS Institute summary, they said SANS Java run, Runtime Environment, a virtual machine environment that operates on many platforms, is prone to multiple remote code execution vulnerabilities. Two buffer flow vulnerabilities exist in Java's handling of MIDI sound banks. In addition, an input validation error exists in the processing of certain image files. All of these vulnerabilities can be exploited by enticing the user to visit a web page containing a malicious applet, that would be a Java applet, and accompanying data files. Various other vulnerabilities in the JRE have also been reported and patched. Some technical details for these vulnerabilities are publicly available. So um, my sense is it's not super widely used. Normally what happens is you'll download some application which says, you know, it's written in Java, so you need to install the JRE, the Java runtime environment, um, from, from Sun um, on your machine. So uh, I wanted to let our listeners know about that. So, you know, Check to see if that's happening now. I one think my that, Mac did update, as a matter of fact. I think I yeah. remember, yeah. One thing that did not um, automatically notify me, so I'm glad I checked, um, is QuickTime on the various Windows platforms. Um, Apple put out an update of their Windows version of QuickTime, um, bringing us to version 7.6.6. And so that's on both uh, XP Service Pack 2, Vista, and Windows 7, the three you know, current Windows platforms. Um, and this fixes a bunch of different sort of standard uh, code execution vulnerabilities um, uh, involving the display of, of uh, picked or BMP images uh, or even a, a malicious video could be created that would trick this vulnerability. So uh, that you don't get an automatic update for. So um, what I did was I I launched QuickTime myself and then um, uh, I think when I ran it, it did do an automatic check and said, oh, there's a new version. And so I said, oh, good, I want that. And, uh, you know, downloaded it. It's big, it's 38 megs. It took a while, but that's worth doing because, you know, the the, the problem would be you might click on a link to a, um, a QuickTime video, an MP4, whatever you got that's associated with QuickTime, in email, which would launch the player and uh, could cause a problem for your system. And then the most interesting problem is, turns out not to be 
a vulnerability, but a hack that um, an, a, a very PDF-wise uh, developer named Dieter Stevens came up with. It turns out that Adobe PDFs, by design, are able to launch other system applications, that is, other system executables, in order to display content embedded in the PDF. That doesn't seem is, right. It doesn't. I guess it's but like a browser, right? It, it's sort of, yeah. So the idea, well, the idea would be you might have some um, an embedded data file like, I, I don't know, an office document or, I mean, anything, which needs another another app in order to view it. And so the, by, de, by definition, by design, the, the PDF format allows the embedding of foreign content displayable with third-party apps. Well, not surprisingly, there's a way to exploit that. This guy, um, when, you, when you do this, you do get a dialog box asking for permission to run the app. What Dieter figured out was a way of manipulating the message that's displayed in that dialog box so to use some social engineering in order to induce people to do it. For example, and he shows this um, on his page, he shows um, a sample permission dialog where it says he, he's replaced the normal text with to view the encrypted message in this PDF document, select do not show this message again and click the open button. Well, so if a user did that, they would be, they would be instructing um, Acrobat to not ever present this interception dialogue again, giving it free reign in the future to, to automatically run whatever program you want. And it turns out he's figured out a way to run, you know, arbitrary code, essentially. He, so he could bundle his own malicious code and get this thing to run it. The good news is, oh, and I, I forgot to mention that because this is part of the PDF spec, other readers like the Foxit reader are similarly vulnerable. Oh, interesting. Because they followed the spec. And so they had to put this feature in. So the good news is now... We, we've told people before, our listeners, about disabling JavaScript in Acrobat. Uh, if you open up your Acrobat reader, your Adobe reader, under the edit menu at the bottom is preferences dot dot dot, which opens a large preferences dialog with a whole list of categories down the left-hand side. Users, our, 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 our listeners, will have already selected the JavaScript category. And the first checkbox there is enable Acrobat JavaScript. Hopefully, that's already been turned off by them because you just don't want that. Um, you know, we've talked about how rare it is that PDFs require scripting. Mostly, you're just looking at static documents. Further down the list, that list is alphabetically sorted down toward the bottom, you want to go to Trust Manager. So choose Trust Manager over in the, in the left-hand column. And again, at the top of the right-hand side, you'll see a checkbox, Allow Opening 
of non-PDF file attachments with external applications. Unfortunately, as is the case with JavaScript, it is enabled by default. So turn that off if you do not want this functionality. Um, and I would advise people to do so. So what this does is it just says that, you know, you're, you're, you're no longer allowing reader to essentially get exploited in this fashion. What this, would, what this creates is the possibility of malicious PDFs that aren't taking advantage of a flaw that Adobe or Foxit or anybody else displaying PDFs needs to fix, but rather taking advantage of a feature that's there by default, but which security conscious people don't almost certainly don't want to have. And with the disabled, it is um, what you get is a pop-up telling you that something is trying to run an external program that is, you know, this document is trying to launch an external program, but you have disabled that in the trust manager. So it's not like you, you, you lose any functionality. You get the warning, which is probably what well, we know is a very good thing. And, um, and it prevents this from executing um, in any case. Now, um, Dieter has a, a demo of this for, on, on his page. And I will post the link on the Security Now site for our listeners. You can post it in the show notes. It, it, it's his blog.dieterstevens.com. And, you know, a, a URL there that I won't try to do verbally. But on that page, and, and this page is where he goes into detail and explains this. But down toward the bottom, he has provided a demo PDF, which is very cool, which is it's like a K big. So it's very small. And it just allows you to safely test your Acrobat reader to it like in both settings. And I played with it on and off and verified that it, it does the right thing. So it's just a nice little test to Dealey. He has not disclosed, he has, he has released as a proof of concept the ability to overwrite the text in the dialog box. His sample PDF does not do that. He has not released that publicly because that's really the danger that allows the social engineering hack to, to trick people into saying, oh, I guess I have to press, you know, OK, actually open in order to proceed, which would then compromise their machine. So, however, he's provided this information to Adobe and Foxit so that they can fix these problems. Um, and there will be an update to that because you should not be able to override the text in this dialogue, which is really the, the trick that he came up with. But in the process, it disclosed something that security conscious people would absolutely want to disable in their in their PDF readers. And he does have a fix for it. In fact, he's got an update on his blog, I just I noticed, to the whole thing. Well, there's additional information because yeah. uh, Adobe and Foxit are, have moved on this problem. And he there's a sort of a complicated logic sequence he goes through because Adobe, or rather Foxit, had some sort of a problem that required a second, a, a second type of exploit in order to make it behave the way it did, meaning that it really wasn't, there was always a bug in Foxit the way it was. And when they fixed it, they cured the bug, but then they, they caused another problem or something. So anyway, the point being, this is something our listeners ought to have turned off just like JavaScript. Um, because who knows if this will be the last problem we see this arise. Many times we see 
well, for example, JavaScript hacks perpetually, essentially, in, in PDF files. Well, just turn it off, and then you're, you know, you're, you've got blanket protection. Okay, I'm about to do it. Now, you are about to do a review of the iPad. So, um, before you, is that next? That is. Before you do that, can I do a quick ad? Please. So you can c collect your thoughts. <laughs> and I have my iPad right here, so I want to prepare it in case it has to cry. Okay. <laughs> but first, let's talk about security. Wait a minute. Aren't we talking about security? We are. But what's the best way to secure your enterprise, your business, uh, from bad guys, from hackers, and I guess kind of importantly from things that your users might do? Say it with me. Astaro Security Gateway. It's the ultimate UTM, Unified Threat Management Box. Beautiful, solid, steel box. Inside there, the best in best of breed in both open source and commercial security software. Of course, I don't have to say, it goes without saying, a stateful inspection, state-of-the-art firewall. But there's much, much more in there. I mean, you've got complete VPN capabilities, including SSL VPN. So, I mean, talk about easy to configure. You don't have to set up a server. It's in there. Uh, SSL VPN through uh, existing protocols like IPsec, L2TP over IPsec, and PPTP tunneling. So, you know, the boss wants to say, I, hey, IT guy, IT boy, I want to I be able to get to the dashboard when I'm in the hotel. What are you going to do for me? You say, well, boss, it's easy. It's just SSL. We don't have to put a bunch of software on there. Uh, maybe your, your users are, uh, you know, getting... Uh, encrypted or signed email using OpenPGP or SMIME, and they say, well, what do I do with this? No problem. It's built in, both encryption and decryption. So you can have all outbound email encrypted, all outbound email signed. That's what I do, and I think it's just really great to sign your email, and they know who it came from. Using state-of-the-art open standards automatically. There's anti-spyware. Three antiviruses. Two for email, one for the web. There's instant messenger, peer-to-peer -peer, uh, controls. It, it, but by the way, all of this is automatically updated with incredible Astaro up-to-date. You get it all. There's a, I mean, I could go on. It, it grows with your business using their unique uh, active cluster, active-active clustering that uh, will do the load distribution without any additional load balancing. Uh, so you can get up to 10 ASGs in series as your business grows. Um, what else? Well, I'll tell you what, free demo. Why don't you try it free right now in your place of business? Call 877, the number four, Astaro. That's toll free in the U.S. 1-877, the number four, A-S-T-A-R-O. Outside the U.S., just go to A-S-T-A-R-O.com. And by the way, they do offer this for non-commercial users absolutely free. So if you're a home user and you'd like to have this kind of protection, you can get it for free by going to Astaro.com slash security now. There's a VMware appliance. makes it very easy to install, but you can also download all the software. And the Star Up to Date is included free, by the way, for uh, non-commercial use. They just started doing that. Hey, I think these guys are great. Man, it gives me peace of mind to have the Astaro Security Gateway running. Why don't you try it? ASTARO.com. Call 877, the number 4, ASTARO, for a demo unit in your place of business. Astaro Security Gateway. That's all you need to know. All right, Steve, you and I both got our iPad. Now, you, I think you had a UPS delivery issue, didn't you? <laughs> what happened there? Well, the saga began with, you know, me expecting the iPad, as everyone did, to arrive on, on April 3rd. And so I, I, it turns out that it's possible from Apple 
to download and print a a delivery release, which I did and had it stuck on the front door so that if, you know, no matter what happened, if I somehow didn't hear the doorbell or I was in the shower or, you know, on the phone or something, that the the, the UPS guy would, would leave the box. So at um, it was after you got yours because I was watching you on um, – KFI, the tech guy, on Saturday and saw that, you know... I got it like 10.30 long, in the morning, I think. Longing, yes, the delivery yeah. of your four... <laughs> that was so I, fun. It your was four so, I, yes. iPads. Yes. And uh, so, no, I heard a knock at the door, maybe at about 11. and went to the door and the guy was pulling the waiver down off the door and and I thought, oh, okay. It's but here. The, it's here. He was holding a box that was substantially too small. Oh. And I looked and it was Amazon. Oh. And it's like, oh. And I said, uh, where's my iPad? And he looked at me and said, oh, you're, you've got one of those too? I said, <laughs> yes. I said, I'll trade you the Amazon box. I don't, <laughs> no matter what it is. <laughs> uh, and he said, oh, hold on a second. So he goes down to his big brown UPS truck and he spent a long time oh, down there. And he came back empty-handed. It's like, oh, so, you know, my world just collapses. <laughs> oh. and, and, I, and then I realized that he was not maybe, de- well, he wasn't my regular driver. He didn't seem to be dealing with, you know, a full deck of cards because he was taking the, the signed um, release down for the wrong box. Right. But it wasn't. You know, it was a release for the iPad, not for the Amazon. Right. Amazon doesn't require that. Right. So I'm thinking, okay. Right. And so he says, oh, um, it's probably on another truck. Well, there's never been more than one truck. And I said, what? And he said, oh, yeah, there, there'll be another truck along. And it's like, uh, okay. He's thinking, I uh, hope you know what you're talking about. So, I think they did Saturday deliveries. Well, he wandered off and... I thought about this for about half an hour, and I thought, okay, I got to find out what's going on. So I I found a number for UPS and got the robot that said, "Would you like to track a package, check, you know, uh, ship a package, or there was three choices, none of which I wanted, but I said uh, track a package." And so then I spoke my tracking number in clearly, and it told me that it was you know in transit. And the web page is supposed to say out for delivery when it's actually coming to you, but it didn't. It's kind of got stuck at 7.30 saying arrival right. status or something. So so then it's the, so the little robot says, you know, what would you like to do? And, and it gave me my three bad choices again. And I just, <laughs> I, you know, I closed my eyes and I said, talk to a person. Ooh. And I said, just one moment. It please. worked. Connect you. I, said, I couldn't believe it. It understands <laughs> my me. <laughs> wow. So I got a really nice lady who, who I started to explain the problem, and she was. I heard her sort of sighing. She had I, a few calls like this, and I said, "What?" She says, "Ah, I know, I know." I said, "Oh, so you mean this guy could be correct? There might be." She says, "She, she says trucks are circling your location right now." <laughs> The black helicopters I are said, out. Really? And she says, oh, she said, this has been an unimaginable day. She said, our oh. web system, our IT infrastructure has collapsed under the burden of delivering all these iPads oh, that's on interesting. Saturday. All these iPads. Wow. Oh, yeah. All the trucks are full of iPads and nothing else. They have iPad-only trucks going oh, out. Wow. She said what's really been upsetting for people is those who ordered multiples 
often had them on different trucks. Oh, dear. So the first one would come, and he'd get, you know, you know Joe a Apple fanboy would get, you know, one, and he'd say, well, where's my other two? And then the guy would go down and look in the truck again for 15 minutes and come back and say, oh, I only have one. It's like, oh. <sighs> and then, you know, another truck would show up <laughs> with another one. And then another one would show up. So anyway, it was a, I, I sure enough, the, a second truck showed up with a box the right size, and I was quite pleased. Yay. So I spent about two hours with it, poking around, getting the feel for it, and liking it a great deal. Oh, good. Uh, I was in the shower thinking about my experience with it. <laughs> and Not too hard, I hope. And suddenly, <laughs> I wasn't that excited about okay. it. And suddenly... I thought, I really am going to use this all the time. This is, you know, and I, I remember I had prided myself on purchasing the cheapest one because I didn't want, you know, I knew that a year from now we'd get a camera and, you know, other things would, would be improved. That's what Apple does. Right. And so, and I knew that this was the one, you know, the 16 gig one was the one that Jobs least wanted me to purchase because it was one that made them the, less, the least amount of money. You know, because it certainly isn't costing them $100 to double the memory and $100 to double it again. So, I, I, you know, I thought, okay, fine. This makes, this is the most sensical thing to do. But in the shower, it occurred to me that this thing was probably going to go crazy when, because it was so good, when the world started to find out about it. So, I quickly dried off <laughs> no, <laughs> and ordered the most expensive one. Yeah. For, for later delivery. The, for you mean the GPS? Whenever it yeah, comes, yeah, yeah. You know, whenever it comes. isn't this funny? Because guess what I did, Steve? <laughs> exactly the same thing. I got the 64 gigabyte with 3G, and that's coming towards the end of the month. Ex yep. Yeah, exactly the same thing. So, here's my feeling. Um, people who, first of all, it's, it's dangerous to go out in public. I tried to have a quiet dinner by myself on Sunday night. Me and my iPad. Entire restaurant staff and most of the diners oh that were within eyesight oh dear. had to ask me about it and touch it and feel it and, and so forth. The general consensus is that everyone who has seen it wants one. There's right. this massive iPad lust. Yeah. And, and I'm stunned by the amount of buzz that Apple has created over this. It's just phenomenal. Um, I was annoyed that the store was closed, the Apple store was closed on Sunday being Easter because I wanted to, you know, get a couple cases for it. And I couldn't wait for the ones that I had already purchased to come in the mail or to be, to be delivered. So, and I did go up to the store on Monday and it was still super busy. Um, the criticism we've heard, well, there's a number of criticisms, of course. One that concerned me at first was the absence of multitasking, but... Apparently, I don't need multitasking because I'm able to do multitasking things sort of by doing one thing at a time. For example, the other day I, I saw a, I was looking at some blog where there was a photo. I, I was actually looking for iPad easels because it's clear to me that some sort of a tilt of, you know, like a tilt stand is really what you want for this thing. Um, it is heavy. It is substantially heavier than the Kindle. Um, it's not the kind of thing you're comfortable holding with one hand. I really think it needs a case or some skinning. In fact, I've got I've, I've ordered the Jella skin, 
which I had purchased. You love for- those because you, you sent me one for the uh, Kindle. Yes, and yeah. I have them on, on my Kindles. I like the fact that it's it's you know it's a little bit tacky, meaning that it's you know you got it's a much better grip. Right. And I'm just really afraid I'm going to drop the iPad because it's sort of it's all shiny and smooth and slippery with its with its you know brushed back. In fact, the Apple logo, the black Apple logo on the back, is sticky. I mean, that's the way I wish the whole thing were. So I'm going to add that back skin to it. I sort of don't like. The, any kind of a cover, you know, the, for the Kindle, I have a slip case where I just pull it out and then it's, it's unencumbered with any flaps or covers or anything else. Although I have to say that Apple's own brand cover is pretty nice. I use that for a couple of days. It, it, you know, the, the, the pad slips in where the, the hinge is, and then you flip this little flap over and down behind the, the, the iPad to kind of lock it in. And it's, it's not, it doesn't add much bulk to it, and it does give you some screen cover protection. I dislike the high gloss. I dislike that on Apple's laptops. Yeah. I dislike it on, on any LCD screens. So I'm going to try. I have ordered from a company called iLove, I-L-U-V, a matte screen protector huh. to see what happens, just to see how it looks. The, the glare really does become a problem uh, if you're in a brightly lit area. Well, you can see when I when I hold it up, it reflects everything, including my lights, my my, my eyes, you know. Oh, so. yeah, you, you know, you can adjust your eyebrows if you want. If, if you want a mirror, yeah. you've got one yeah, built in. Just turn mirror. it off and it right. becomes a mirror. Right. Um, and, of course, it is absolutely a fingerprint magnet. Yep. I, de- I decided, well... Rather than wiping it down all the time, I'm going to ex- understand that it's meant to be touched. And so, you know, hands have oil on them and it's just going to, I'm just going to look through the fingerprints and not be annoyed by that because... You don't see it so much when it's on. I keep a little a little swaddling cloth in my, uh, you know, a little microfiber cloth in my case. Right. So I can wipe it off. But, you, you know, you don't see it when it's off. It's only when it's on. It's only when it's off that you really notice... Yeah, the thing is all smudged up, you know. So my two dreams, my and I, I think I've stated this on the podcast before. You know, I've got every gadget under the sun. Yeah. Um, you know, I love my BlackBerry for messaging. You know, real time connectivity. I've gotten pretty good with the little keyboard. I've got the the Tour, which is the four eighty by three sixty. I think maybe 320 resolution screen, the same resolution as on the iPhone and, and the iPod Touch. Um, it's a smaller physical size, but same pixel count. So, you know, it, yeah, you could surf the net if you had to, but it's not pleasant. I mean, yeah. it's really cumbersome to do that. So what I wanted was the ability to, wherever I was, quickly jump on the net. And I know I have got laptops. I've got any laptop I want. And, you know, but the laptop, you got to get it out of the case, open it up, turn it on. In my case, wait for Windows to boot, which isn't ever fast. And even if you do a, a, a restore from, from having it um, hibernated, that still takes substantial time. I mean, enough so that it's, it's not conducive to just doing short-term web browsing. So... That dream is absolutely answered mm-hmm. with the iPad. Mm-hmm. In fact, I'm really impressed with the way they manage Wi-Fi connectivity already. If when I go into a Starbucks or in, into somewhere with an open Wi-Fi hotspot, and I when I turn it on, it already shows that it's connected to that location. Right. I mean, oh, it does. It does open automatically. 
Yeah, Interesting. I'm very impressed. And if I left the web browser as the last thing I was using when I turned it off, it's back at the web browser. Yeah. So, I mean, as like a dedicated browser, I've got my dream come true. I mean, it's, it's, it's an instant on, no boot. I'm, all, I'm all in a web browser and ready to go. The second thing I've always wanted is a really practical PDF reader. You know, yes, the Kindle DX can read PDFs, but, you know, one of the things you really feel from using the iPad, having been a Kindle user, is when you then go back to the Kindle, oh, what is taking it so long? <laughs> it's it's a very slow device. So yeah. slow. Yeah. Now, of course, the reason it's slow is that it's running its processor very slowly because we know that the faster you go, the more power you burn. And the Kindle's great advantage with coupled, you know, with its lack of speed with the i-ink or the e-ink display is the battery lasts for weeks. On the other hand, the iPad, as we know now from the reviewers who played movies from 7.30 in the morning until 7.45 in the evening, 12 plus hours of constant use, the battery has ceased to be a problem. Isn't it amazing? And I absolutely feel that. I'd love I, to know I, how they did that. I've also, I mean, it's, it's, you know, they, they really solved that problem. So, and you know, I think I felt a little breath of hot air come out of the docking connector uh, yesterday. Oh, Leo. interesting. It's interesting because there's no obvious ventilation, but I kind of, you know, I think it kind of exhaled on my hand because huh. the hand was near the docking connector and I'm sure I felt kind of a, <sighs> I haven't felt any heat at all. And so that's no. interesting. Yes, I haven't either until that one moment where my where the the back of my hand happened to be by the docking connector, and I think it kind of exhaled heat on right. on my hand. So I'll be interested to see if anyone ever experiences that. But there is first of all the 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 iPad itself is able to read PDFs natively, so that if you had a PDF in an email attachment, you could. Oh, open I didn't it. know that. Oh, that's nice. It'll do that. But there is a fantastic reader called good reader yeah it should be called unbelievably great reader <laughs> really uh, oh, i bought it but i but i haven't done much with it it's a complete library so it's also one of the other criticisms that that i mean that i feel is that the 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 i the iphone first, first the ipod was an appliance of iTunes that is typically of a Mac but also with Windows you know you you mostly you did your work in the 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 PC or the Mac in iTunes and then you plugged the iPod in and synchronized it to have all your you know that's the way you got photos into it and music and you organized things in albums and and all that so it was sort of a peripheral then they upped the ante by by doing the same the same model with the iPhone and the iPod Touch. And again, you ba it was basically slaved to an instance of iTunes running on a machine. So that approach is still the way you work, largely, with the iPad. And my feeling is, I mean, I'm, I'm getting more comfortable with it. I, I mean, it, I should explain to everybody, I am in love with this iPad. I, I think... They've hit another grand slam, and I wasn't fanboy. I was, you know, skeptical. I bought it, and then the cheapest one because, you know, I figured, well, I have to have it. I have to play with it, see what I think. I mean, it it will be a constant companion 
from now on. And it's just, I'm, I couldn't be more pleased with it, but now the negatives, is, <laughs> do you have any negatives? Well, my it's, you know, there's, there's the complaint and this is sort of what I feel is that this, I'm not sure that the model of it as a peripheral of iTunes isn't being stretched a little too much. Yeah. That is, yeah. we want it. We want it to be a computer. It it almost is a computer. And for example, it doesn't have a file system. It you, you know you're not able to manage files on it. Now now companies have worked around this. And for example, this Good Reader has worked around it by managing the PDFs that you give to it internally itself, and it does a beautiful job of it. You it it also has all these ways of getting PDFs into it. It can set up, it can be a server on your Wi-Fi network, allowing you to send it PDFs. You can browse with its own browser websites and download PDFs from web pages into it. You You can give it the URLs of PDFs that are anywhere on the net, and it will grab them for you. So... They did, you know, they've solved a lot of this sort of themselves. But mostly, I mean, everything you could want. You could, you know, resize the PDF. It under it does a good job with both portrait and landscape. You can lock, you could like size it so that it's column to column. And then there's a little option to lock it so that it won't slide from side to side, but only goes up and down. Um, it's just... I mean, no, that's the second thing I wanted to be able, to be able to really read PDFs easily on a portable device, and I have that. I love that that the iPad has a rotation lock, so because I'm generally liking it much more in a horizontal, that is, in a landscape orientation, than in a portrait orientation. That generally is the way I'm liking it. So I just have it locked that way. So it's not, you know, starting up the wrong way and then having to swing itself around. Right. So, so I really like that a lot. Um, I do think that, that it is a little bit of an a la carte come on from Apple. I mean, you know, people are going to be buying a lot of the extras and paying, you know, a lot more money for them. Like, you know, the dock and the keyboard and the, the, the the camera connector and all well and even the case is forty dollars which you really do want maybe it's twenty nine ninety five you really want some sort of a case for this thing um, to protect it um, one of the interesting little easels um, is part of their Apple sells or I guess maybe it's Insight or it's one of the people that they have in their store sells sort of a silicone wrapper for it but it's just but, and they and they provide a little stand. It's just a flat piece of plastic with notches at either end, sort of like a ruler that bends. And you bend it and then stick the tablet into the notches. And it does a very credible job of standing it up, you know, at, at a very nice viewing angle. So I like that a lot. Um, uh, the, the iBook store has a very weak book selection at the moment. Nothing that I'm reading no, it's terrible. is available there. So it's like, okay, well, we'll wait for that. But the Kindle reader, I mean, I'm reading my Kindle books as I was on the Kindle, now over on the, the iPad. And they look good. They look very they, readable. They, they're very readable. Yeah. I mean, the, I would say there's no comparison. The, the readability is vastly superior 
on the iPad, both because of the size of the screen and the fact that you've got much higher contrast with, you know, a, a backlit white screen with black, black type. The e-ink on the Kindle is, you know, light gray on darker gray. So, um, so my feeling about the Kindle is that it really has not been replaced. I, st- I have, because I have one, I still use it. It's, you know, I've, I, apparently the New York Times is going to be coming out with a dedicated app for reading the New York Times. I'll be interested to see that because that's the newspaper that I've, I've really fallen for over the Wall Street Journal and the LA Times, all of which I also subscribe to. But I, I like the, the, um, the, the news stories seem much richer and much deeper on the New York Times than in other papers, as if the writers really know what they're talking about. So I'm, I'm glad that there will be that option. But I can hold the Kindle, I mean, my, yeah, my, my, my Kindle too, in one hand and chopsticks in the other. Yeah, you can't and really do that. You really can't. You cannot hold the iPad with one hand. So, Although it weighs less than a hardcover book. I mean, you, people routinely read hardcover books, so it's not like... Yeah, but it's 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 weighty, and a hardcover book isn't quite as large. That is the moment of the moment of um, twist on your hand holding it is greater with the iPad. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's yeah. really it really you, has you need to, to rest it on something. You pretty you much do. have to. Yeah. Which which again, I mean, you're we've got a glass screen we want it to be this size i mean the size it being though you know the, the 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 criticism among the tech people is that it's just a larger iphone it's like well yes but that's, that's a, a huge difference <laughs> yeah. Yeah. that makes all the difference in t- in terms of actually being able to surf and oh leo the mail app is beautiful in landscape mode you've got an inbox on the left Plenty of read, room to read email. I mean, I wrote much rather and do now read my meal, my, my mail on it rather than on my BlackBerry. How about Blackberry, answering? Oh, yeah, it's better than the BlackBerry. But how about answering it? Do you find it typable? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I completely agree with the critics who say this or, or just the, the, the reviewers that this is not a content creation device. Right. I think that's completely correct. This is a... It's a it's a content consumption device, um, but I want to consume web pages and I want to consume PDFs and I want to read my email and it, it really does it. Now I think that there's still a place in the world for the Kindle, but the fact that it's not at retail is going to kill it. Hmm. As a, the fact that you can't go into a store and compare it side by side to the iPad, hmm. I, I think I think. People just won't buy it, right. even though it might be a better solution for them. Um, I think they're going to get an iPad, and right. it's hard to blame them. I mean, the iPad does so much more than the Kindle does, and looks like it's going to do everything the Kindle does and be dramatically more readable. And if it, if the iPad only had about a battery life of four hours, I'd say, okay, that's the that you know they screwed that up. Right. But this thing runs all day. Right. So anyway, I'm I'm completely completely sold yeah yeah i have to say i i can't put it down <laughs> uh and there are negatives look it's not perfect uh and the next generation may add a camera uh, i don't know if multitask do, do i find that just the pressing of a button and going to the next application is probably enough for me i'd love I'm to completely 
I'm, yes, I completely agree. I, I don't know what it is people want in multitasking. I mean, email comes down by itself. Right. Maybe it's Apple's apps multitask, but third-party apps don't. I mean, I'm getting email. That's exactly the case. I mean, I can listen okay. to my iPod, uh, play, play a book, and then go out and continue on with other things while that's playing in the background. So Apple just doesn't let other programs do it. And okay. there, there are rumors that the next generation iPhone software 4.0, which is going to be announced on Thursday, uh, actually as this show is airing, um, that it may have multitasking or some form of it built in. And if it does, uh, then that may migrate to the iPad as well, which will presumably run 4.0. So. I do have an app um, recommendation. Oh, good. I found something I love. I'm... I love non-timing-based, take-your-time, combinatorial-style puzzles. <laughs> Me you know, too. Like, yes, like yes. Sliding blocks Sco or... Sokoban, that kind of thing, yeah. Yeah, or, um, uh, yeah, uh, Sokoban, Sokoban, or, yeah. uh, you know, uh, figure out how to create bridges between links and so forth. There is an incredibly inexpensive, I think it's 99 cents, it's called Puzzle Maniac, P-U-Z-Z-L-E-M-A-N-I-A-K. It has got, I think, maybe 15 different types of puzzles, and it generates them algorithmically, so you never run out of them. Mm. You can control the complexity of them, and there are some fantastic puzzles. Like, there's a, just a beautiful map coloring puzzle, where, you know, it you have to color a map with four different colors, and... It's it's just relaxing. There's no, you know, no one jumping at you. No one shooting at you. You don't have to duck behind rocks. <laughs> you just, you know, you can stare at this thing and go, okay, this has to be green. So you drag a little green over to it. And, okay, that means if this has got red and blue and 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 uh, purple on it, then this has to be yellow. And oh, I'm just, buying this right now. That looks it, fantastic. Yeah. It's, and there's like connect the nodes with the number of links shown. I mean, really interesting, intriguing puzzles that it generates all kinds of different things. There's one where you it gives you a bunch of nodes interconnected by lines, and you just have to you just drag the nodes around until they're all connected with lines that are not crossing each other. So it just, I mean there and that's pretty simple. But if you would like to have more nodes, it'll be happy to give you more and then you just, you know, you spend all day trying to untangle that nest. So I really like Puzzle Maniac. It's it's like perfect for me for, you know, the kind of puzzles that I like are just, you know, kind of relaxing, doodle away while you're waiting for something to happen and you're standing in line or something. Anyway, and it's available for the iPhone as yeah. well uh, in, a, in a simply uh, slightly uh, reduced size version. Great. I recommend it to all my, the people I know who own iPhones because it's, it's, again, just a way, perfect little doodle toy. All right. Well, so there's a, a positive uh, review yep. and one that actually I concur with for the uh, iPad. I've been really having fun with it. And uh, I think uh, Apple has uh, proven that it, it did find a new way to make a tablet that might succeed better than what Microsoft has been able to do over the last decade. I mean, they've been, Bill Gates has, wanted, has said everybody will be using a tablet soon. Well, I, and that's I the other thing. He was thinking of Apple tablets. I had a note uh, to, to talk about that too, because there's there are people saying, "Well, you know, sure, but there's going to be fifty other tablets coming out, you know, any moment now." And it's like, okay, look, Windows can't do this. I mean, you can't put Windows on a tablet and get the same kind of experience. What you need is a system, and maybe you know, Google's 
uh, system will do Android it. might be a good choice, yeah. Yes, but you, I mean, you absolutely need something designed for touch from the beginning. You cannot take the assumptions of a mouse-based system and just sort of force them into a touch-based tablet. You know, I mean, Microsoft has sort of tried that with their phone, which has never gotten off the ground until I've heard you and Paul talk about it. They simplified it and basically turned it into their music player, their Zune. Basically, that UI moved over onto the phone in order to create something that sort of has a, you know, a hugely compromised, but now finally makes sense sort of UI instead of just trying to cram windows into something that runs on batteries. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I did get a neat note from someone who didn't intend me to read this, so I'm not going to give his name. He's the CEO of a relatively major corporation who said, um, we rent or manage computers that are sent to trade shows all over the world. The PCs are either owned by us or by clients, but we manage them and store them at our offices before sending them out to the trade shows. At the shows, they're used to collect sales lead data and sometimes used as point-of-sale systems. Recently, we had a new Panasonic Toughbook fail at a show, a hard drive failure, in Germany with no way to boot to even a command prompt from USB. We used our copy of Spinrite 6 to recover the data off the drive as a last resort, and it worked perfectly. I'm sure this is no surprise to you, but it was a great relief to us and our client who had $30,000 worth of orders stored on that machine with no backup. Thanks. I'd like to include a Spinrite bootable USB stick as part of a hard drive emergency recovery for every system we ship. We ship about 10 orders per month. They all come back to us after each trade show. Could you please tell me what kind of pricing structure you have to offer or direct me to the right area on your website? Thanks. Signed, nameless person who's a CEO. <laughs> so I just, you know, nice little testimonial there about Spinrite helping someone again. And in this case, <laughs> paying for itself about, a uh, well, not a thousand times over, but uh, about, uh, what, 400 times over. <laughs> Well, let's get to the meat of the matter, which is, of course, today, uh, SSL certificates. You sent me a PDF uh, from Microsoft, uh, which was updated in November 2009. I guess they update these, uh, these files, the root certificate files, uh, fairly regularly. Well, Microsoft does something odd, which is if you, if you install Windows fresh, you will only see about a handful, something like 15 root CAs, remember, um, uh, certificate authorities in what Microsoft Windows calls the trusted win or the Windows trusted store. That's where Microsoft stores certificates for the OS. And the, except for, for Firefox, the other Windows hosted browsers, i.e., um, uh, IE and Chrome and Safari all rely on the Windows Trusted Store. What happens is if you go to a website whose 
web certificate, their SSL certificate, is signed by someone not currently in your instance of Windows. Microsoft, turns out, has a real-time, on-the-fly certificate update facility that works in the background. So your the um, Windows itself, when the query is made down in, in the Windows crypto system, it will see that you're asking about a certificate it doesn't currently have. So it contacts Microsoft and grabs the certificate that you're asking for on the fly. As a consequence of that, we now know that Microsoft trusts a huge number of certificate authorities. Um, and you'll remember, Leo, years ago, when t- to my horror, I looked at the size of my own um, trust store in Windows, which IE was using, and just said, oh my goodness, I mean, <laughs> there's so many. Well, it turns out, there were even many more than that. Microsoft trusts 264. Sheminy. 264. Now, the fact is... Now, these are these root certificates? These are root certificate authorities. Wow. 264. Now, including, as we've mentioned before, the Hong Kong Post Office. They're there. <laughs> um, Apple trusts 166. Hmm, I wonder and why so, so many fewer, to be honest. Well, um, just because one wonders about, in general, Microsoft's, you know, tendency towards excess. Right. You know, we, we, we obviously people don't have a problem surfing and doing SSL connections from from the Mac. So, yeah, they don't need, the, you know. Now, how many does the, Firefox come with? 144. Even Even fewer. Even fewer. And remember that Firefox brings its own... CA library with it, even under Windows. So that's another reason why I would give Firefox some props over IE just for trusting so many fewer CAs. Does it supersede? So, yes. Oh, interesting. So even though Windows may trust more, it will ignore the additional root certificate authorities when you're surfing with Firefox. Well, because Firefox also uses its own um, crypto library, which it brings with it. Um, there's an acronym for it. It's NSS or NNS. I think it's NSS. Is the is the crypto library that that the Mozilla group use, and NSS has has its own CA store. So since it's using its own crypto stuff, it all, it uses its own certificate pool as well. So what happened is a cup. Uh, one of the um, researchers. There's two guys. Uh, both at uh, Indiana University. Christopher, I'm afraid about his name here, it's like uh, Sogoyan is how I think, S-O-G-H-O-I-A-N. Christopher Sogoyan is a PhD candidate in the School of Informatics and Computing at Indiana University. And he's uh, partnered up with Sid Stamm, S-T-A-M-M, who is a PhD uh, also, he had got his PhD at IU, currently employed by Mozilla. One of them were at a conference where they saw in the sort of the trade show portion of the conference a very disturbing booth um, from a company called Packet Forensics. Packet Forensics was advertising a little turnkey network appliance 
which was able to perform SSL man-in-the-middle attacks. Now, we know that SSL man-in-the-middle attacks could be, could be pursued based on the previous problem with SSL where renegotiating sessions had a bit of a hole in them such that it was possible for a man in the middle to, to, to perform some little chicanery but nothing that was of too much concern. Well, these guys put together a 19-page PDF. Um, if, you, if, if our listeners Google SSL-MITM, Dot PDF, as in man in the middle, ssl-mitm.pdf. Google will take you to a bunch of instances of this. Um, it's, uh, it's at files.cloudprivacy.net slash ssl-mitm.pdf. It, you can also find it at, at cryptome, c-r-y-p-t-o-m-e dot org slash ssl-mitm.pdf. Um, I'm going to read a couple excerpts from this to, to explain what the concern is. And then, since our listeners have been so well-trained in the nature of browser certificate stuff, I'm going to explain in detail exactly how this appliance can function and essentially what it means. So almost taking a chapter from what I had said years ago, they wrote, while not known to most users, the CAs, that is the certificate authorities, um, are one of the weakest links in the SSL public key infrastructure, a problem amplified by the fact that the major web browsers trust hundreds of different firms to issue certificates. Each of these firms can be compelled by their national governments to issue a certificate for any particular website that all web browsers will trust without warning. Thus, users around the world are put in the position where their browser inherently entrusts their private data indirectly to a large number of governments, both foreign and domestic, whom these individuals would never ordinarily trust. So, to say that another way, or to simplify that, um, it might be that a given website has a has purchased a its SSL certificate from VeriSign, and our browsers, of course, all trust VeriSign. Well, to use an example that I've used before, but not to pick on the Hong Kong Post Office, some some other agency, for example, China could compel the Hong Kong Post Office Certificate Authority to issue a certificate for, say, Google.com. And we, w- we have no way of knowing that that's been done. But it's, from a technical standpoint, nothing at all prohibits any of these 264 random certificate authorities from creating a certificate for google.com. The fact that google.com actually bought theirs from from VeriSign doesn't mean anything to our browsers. All that our browser does when it's presented with a certificate which it believes is from google.com 
is to see that it's been signed by someone it trusts. Well, it trusts the Hong Kong Post Office. What this means is that it would be entirely possible for for any governmental agency to to essentially proxy SSL connections. And if if connections are going through some sort of device which is not going to an IP of Google, it just lets them pass. But when it sees that a connection is going to the IP of Google, it proxies that SSL connection, meaning it pretends to be Google. That is, the device does, which it can now do because it has a certificate for Google.com signed by someone our browser trusts. So instead of our connection actually terminating at Google, it terminates at this device. Our browser gets the gets a certificate from the device checks to see if it's a trusted if it's been signed by someone it trusts it has been because it's been signed not by verisign but any of a number of of these hundreds of certificate authorities and the browser's happy then the device connects to google.com and we can't tell the difference if we examined the certificate ourselves we would see oh look it's been signed by the Hong Kong Post Office. That seems suspicious that Google would have their certificate signed by the Hong Kong Post Office as opposed to, you know, maybe VeriSign. I wouldn't be surprised if that's who Google did have their certificate signed by. I haven't looked. But, you know, that's the nature of this problem. But it's much worse, as I will explain in a second. I wanted to read what these guys have done from their research or, or said about this na- the nature of compelled assistance. They say... Many governments routinely compel companies to assist them with surveillance. Telecommunications carriers and Internet service providers are frequently required to violate their customers' privacy, providing the government with email communications, telephone calls, search engine records, financial transactions, and geolocation information. In the United States... The legal status statutes, the legal statutes defining the range of entities that can be compelled to assist in electronic surveillance by law enforcement and foreign intelligence investigators are remarkably broad. Examples of compelled assistance using these statutes include a secure email provider that was required to place a covert backdoor in its product, in order to steal users' encryption keys. And there's a reference here to this in this document. So, I mean, they back all this up with references. And a consumer electronics company that was forced to remotely enable the microphones in a suspect's automobile dashboard GPS navigation unit in order to covertly record the conversations being held in their car. Outside the United States and other democratic countries, specific statutory authority may be even less important. Do they say the chi- who these companies are, or are they just kind of generically? I mean, well, I, in in the references, um, there's reference number eighteen in the PDF to the second instance, and reference number two to the stealing of the email. So, who was the uh, consumer electronics company? Who was the email company? I didn't look. 
Okay. Okay. I, I guess we can leave that as an exercise for the reader, but it does make one wonder. Yeah, well, and, and I, I like this because they're they're raising the point that this has happened. But I have another quote in a second that I'll that I'll read. Okay, go ahead. The Chinese government, for example, has repeatedly compelled the assistance of telecommunications and technology companies in assisting it with its surveillance efforts. Just as phone companies and email providers can be forced to assist governments in their surveillance efforts, so too can SSL certificate authorities. The compelled certificate creation attack, which is what these guys have named this, is thus one in which a government agency requires a domestic certificate authority to provide it with false SSL certificates for use in surveillance. And I've skipped a bit, and then they continue saying, when compelling the assistance of a CA, a certificate authority, the government agency can either require the CA to issue it a specific certificate for each website to be spoofed, or, more likely, the CA can be forced to issue an intermediate CA certificate that can then be reused an infinite number of times by that government agency without the knowledge or further assistance of the certificate authority. So, just to finish with one quote, and then I want to talk more about the technology, they have a section called Evidence, where they describe this device and the device's marketing material. And during this conference, one of the authors of this PDF, this research paper, um, says, the company's CEO, Victor Oppelman, confirmed in a conversation with the author at the company's booth the claims made by their marketing materials, quote, that government customers have compelled certificate authorities into issuing certificates for use in surveillance operations, which are used by their hardware. While Mr. Oppelman would not reveal which governments have purchased the five series devices, he did confirm that it has been sold both domestically and to foreign customers. So, the, the idea that an entity could compel the creation of an intermediate certificate is what is most compelling for me because of what such a capability means when installed into a piece of hardware. Here's how this works. And what this does is it allows every single, every single SSL connection to be eavesdropped on. This is the kind of thing that maybe an ISP might do, uh, a company might do, a school might do. I'm basically a man-in-the-middle attack. Well, it, it, it wouldn't be a school. It would, it would be, you know, for example, we know post-9-11 attacks on the United States that the, the, there was extremely broad interpretation of the uh, legal um, rights of the government to eavesdrop on, on telecommunications. Although and I, 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 saw, I just saw a news story that, was it Gerald Ford approved warrantless wiretaps in the 70s? Yeah. So <laughs> well, and remember that a number of telecommunications companies refused to right. comply. But most did. Uh, but most went along with it. So what we're talking about there, that's an example of the government compelling a company to to 
allow it to eavesdrop on their data flow. So imagine hypothetically that the, that the FBI, uh, by court order, compels a trusted certificate authority, um, any of them, to create an intermediate certificate authority certificate. So what that means is that the FBI now owns an intermediate certificate signed by a trusted root certificate authority. That intermediate certificate is installed in a device which functions as follows. When, and, and say that, for example, this was in a, an internet cafe, and in fact, that the, the brochure for this device says, for example, this solves the internet cafe problem, unquote, as if privacy is a problem in an internet cafe. But, you know, <laughs> to the spooks, it is. A problem you know, for them. <laughs> to the three-letter the three-letter initial people, yes, NSA, CIA, FBI, and so forth. So the way this works is a user somewhere, anywhere, not, a, not necessarily an internet cafe. I don't mean to restrict it. This could be installed in an ISP's facility so that any customer of an ISP working at home initiates a secure connection to anywhere, anywhere. The, the, the packet comes in to this device, um, to port 443, which is the SSL port. That gives the device the IP that the user is trying to connect to. The device doesn't even have to know what domain this is. And in fact, at this point, it, it doesn't know. All it has to do, you know, a SIN packet comes in trying to initiate an SSL connection. This device sends its own TCP SYN packet at, to that IP to establish its own connection to wherever the user is connecting to. What happens then is that the remote server connected to provides its certificate for the SSL connection to the device, to the, to the client that initiated the connection. Now the client, this device, man-in-the-middle device, has the website's certificate. So it now knows exactly what certificate is expected by the, the, the originator of this connection. It's, but but um, uh, it, it knows that, but now it takes advantage of the fact that it is an authentic intermediate CA to build a certificate which it signs on the fly in order to close, to, 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 to accept the connection originated by the ISP's customer. So the point is, this is a, a real-time, practical, man-in-the-middle device which armed with a trusted intermediate CA certificate is able to decrypt all SSL connections and no warnings of any sort ever 
are displayed on the, on the user's browser. And if they looked at the certificate chain, they would see something they would likely see anyway, which is, the, you know, we often now see, for example, um, intermediate CAs. And if you followed it back, it would be trusted by somebody you trust. So this is an entirely practical attack, a practical right now, um, presumably going on right now, based on the fact that governments have, we believe, compelled certificates to be issued and hardware exists for the sole purpose of pursuing this sort of attack. And that's all it has to do. What, what I just described is the way this would work. And Microsoft has a PDF document, Leo, which I know you have opened at your end, which is a list of the root certificate program members as of November 24th, 2009. So about five months ago, um, which and these are this these are the participants in this database that Microsoft maintains. And, you know, there are names. We have the government of Brazil. Um, the government of India, uh, uh, outfit in Spain, N-Trust in Canada, Internet Publishing Services in Spain, CCOM Trust Systems in Japan. Um, You've got to figure that many, at least a few of these are fronts for national security organizations of various countries. I mean, well, if, if I'm the NSA, I'm going to set up a certificate root authority. Precisely. And you're going to get it installed in the browser. Yeah, That's under a, a fake name. Point, Leo. And uh, it's done. We're done. You know, A-Trust in Austria. Um, uh, bypass is a nice name for one. <laughs> in <laughs> Norway. And maybe you trust the NSA, but do you trust, uh, you know, the Spanish security authorities, the Czech Republic security authorities? We don't know who these people are. Well, and we don't... Bulgaria? We've been talking recently about... Yes, exactly. We, we've been talking recently about, you know, China seeming to be behind a number of well for example google's convinced that that china was behind the the pervasive attacks against it and a number of other countries well there's a china internet network information center cnnic they've got a root ca trusted by windows which is good until 2027 <laughs> Here's one good through 2037 for the Shanghai Electronic Certification Authority. Chica. <laughs> and we trust, I mean, here's the point, is that, you know, all you have to do is get an intermediate certificate signed by one of these organizations. I mean, no, I mean, we're trusting them all. And it means basically everyone listening to this podcast now pretty much needs to assume that that. At some level, these communications are not private. I don't think schools can do this. This is, you know, Lord knows we hope these devices don't get loose and to the point where, you know, a school is able to do this. The schools could compel the installation of an, a certificate in the browsers. So, for example, that's the way the, pro the corporate proxies work, where anyone using SSL has to trust the corporate proxy. And that's done by essentially installing the corporate cert root certificate in the employee's browser. That allows corporations to proxy and monitor SSL connections. But absent that, 
just using you know non-corporate, non-employee browsers, just the browsers we're using now, you need to somehow have the certificate signed by someone you trust. Unfortunately, it's very clear now that trust has gone completely out of control. I mean, we're trusting everybody on this list and all any one of them has to do. I mean, this comes back to what I've what I've you know pounded on our listeners about, which is the bad news about security is one mistake is all it takes. The entire chain of trust, the entire fabric of security requires perfection. And so one defect is all it takes. And unfortunately, we've got 264 possible sources of defects in the fundamental trust anchorage of SSL communications. And thanks to the fact that there is this notion of intermediate certificate authorities, once an intermediate certificate authority has been signed by a root certificate authority whom we trust, then, as I've just demonstrated, it is possible to create a simple device which is able to eavesdrop on all SSL communications virtually without detection. That's not good. <laughs> That's not good. <laughs> no. um, so what do we do? I mean, we, you need certificates. Uh, you need root authorities. Uh, I mean, you... Uh, even if it were three, even if we're VeriSign and, you know, I mean, there'd still be this issue of, of them being subverted. As you just said, the government can order them to basically to subvert it. Yes. I mean, exactly. Under court order, the the law is such that that a company can be compelled to provide what the government wants. So we, and we, and this is something we just kind of come back to every single time, which is. If you want to be safe, don't use a computer. <laughs> don't own a computer. <laughs> don't get online. That's how you're safe. But is it practical? I don't think. No. 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 I, and the reason I bring all this gloomy news up is it's given this information, I think it's reasonable for our listeners' behavior to perhaps change. Or if nothing else, for our listeners to be aware that this is very much a possibility that when they are communicating with their bank, when they're communicating encrypted with Gmail, when they're, when they're doing anything over an SSL connection, the fact that they trust the endpoint no longer means that that's the only trust they have to have. Unfortunately, anywhere in that connection, there could be a device which decrypts and re-encrypts their connection. And in that brief interval where it's decrypted, any kind of packet inspection can be performed and and the the decryptor has their IP at the time of connection. The, this paper paints a fictitious but but typical scenario at the beginning. They say a pro-democracy dissident in China, connects to a secure web forum hosted on servers outside of the country. Relying on the training she received from foreign human rights groups, she makes certain to look for the SSL encryption lock on her web browser, and only after determining that the connection is secure does she enter her logon credentials 
and then begin to upload materials to be shared with her colleagues. However, unknown to the activist, the Chinese government is able to covertly intercept SSL-encrypted connections. Agents from the state security apparatus soon arrive at her residence, leading to her arrest, detention, and interrogation. While the scenario is fictitious, the vulnerability is not. Wow. So, I, uh, I knew that our listeners would want to know, even if there isn't a great solution for it. I mean, unfortunately, this is the system we have for relying on SSL. Um, we... It is. It We're is stuck with it. It's not. It is what are we anch- going to do? Yes, it is anchored. It is literally rooted in our trusting of the people that sign the certificates for our web servers and who sign the intermediate certificates. Unfortunately, it's become so popular that everybody wants in on signing. Um, in, in in this document, they, these guys explain that it's reasonable that, for example. Uh, some country that uses SS, you know, that, that uses uh, PKI signed national ID cards might not want to outsource the signing of their ID cards to some other organization. So they they set up their own root CA and and convince Microsoft and Apple and Mozilla to trust their root CA. And and here, of course, the the problem is the weaker it gets, the weaker it becomes, because they're able now to say, "Well, look at everybody else you trust. Why don't you trust, you know, Squamazilla? you know, right? <laughs> right. And it's like you know, now we got two hundred and sixty four people that Windows trusts. I mean, literally, anyone you can imagine is yeah. on this list. Yeah. Well, in some one way, I kind of understand that. It might as well just. <laughs> Might as well approve everybody. And so that's my point, is it's necessary for us now to proceed with the understanding that at some level, it's not we're not just trusting the other end point, which is ideally all we were doing. Right. Unfortunately, we're 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 needing to assume that this connection is not going to be eavesdropped by the guy who we talked about last week running Ettercap in the coffee shop right we're safe from him but we're not safe from state level eavesdropping we have to assume it exists and it's pervasive and it's going on now steve as usual a ray of sunshine <laughs> no it's so important and and i think sometimes people maybe think that oh gosh i if when i listen to the show i get bored depressed but we got to know about this stuff and uh and and it just means that you act uh, more intelligently when you're online that you you know you you know what the risks are right well for for example we already know that that security is often leveraged from the point of, of most vulnerability so it's certainly the case that you could also get malware in your computer which would be eavesdropping on you before it gets encrypted over ssl so that's the way you know joe schmo in the open Wi-Fi coffee shop could get you is, you know, you're sharing a LAN and you've got an, a, a browser hole that is unknown or not yet patched. And so he's able to install something on your computer and, and eavesdrop on your network 
connections, even the secure ones, by, by grabbing the data before it goes over the SSL tunnel. So it's, or, or somebody could be grabbing it at the other end after it's been decrypted. And credit cards are escaping on the net all the time, even though you know, they're going over SSL connections. So there's lots of ways these things can leak. Um, this just says, look, um, here's, a, here's something that anyone using SSL needs to understand that at the, at the state level, eavesdropping is almost certainly going on. So, as you say, act accordingly. Yep. Act accordingly. Steve, it's always a pleasure. Always fascinating. You find more on this uh, at grc.com. His show notes are there, along with 16 kilobit versions of the show, full transcription so you can read along as you listen. And, of course, all of Steve's uh, great stuff, the free stuff like Shields Up, Shoot the Messenger, Decombobulator, Unplug and Pray, Wismo, Perfect Paper Passwords and more, and, of course, the bread and butter stuff like Spinrite. Uh, in fact, that's the only thing you sell. So <laughs> that's there you the only go. bread and butter. That's the only else, one. Everything else is free. So, uh, although that may change, I know you're working on another product. But uh, for now, go get the world's best hard drive maintenance and recovery utility at grc.com. Steve, enjoy your iPad. Oh, I am Leo. I'm so happy, <laughs> and I can't wait for the for the next one to come. What happens I to really, the Kindle? I'm, I'm really um I'm still carrying it with me because it's the it's the right now it's the best source for reading the New York Times. I want to see what um what happens. Oh, and by the way, I have to say I'm annoyed by the lack of flash. I have run across sites that are using flash for more than just video display. They're, you know, they're actually using flash stuff. And it's it really hits me as a shortcoming. It's one gripe I have, but you know, Either Apple will change their mind or they'll just say, nope, sorry, we're, we're fighting against Flash. We don't, we don't believe in it. Right. Um, everyone should, should stop d- depending upon it. Well, and that's, uh, that's the interesting thing. I think it may be that Apple's, we'll see in time whether Apple's stand is sufficient to get people to move away from Flash. There are alternatives that work fine with the iPad. More and more I'm going to sites on the iPad that work. Well, but alternatives for all of Flash? I don't think so. Only for video display. See, Flash is, of course, much more than just a video player. Right, but we, but you are the one who says scripting's a bad idea. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a full programming language. It can be very da- well, it is we know very dangerous. In fact, you know, I would argue that Mark Thompson was pretty correct and very astute when he said the reason Apple doesn't want it is it allows you to circumvent the iTunes Store. Right, I think it that's really, true. It really does, among other things, but that's true. Yeah. Although I have to say, uh, the fact that Apple includes the Kindle application and and did not block it, maybe they did it because they were worried about regulatory uh, issues, perhaps. But um, I thought that that showed real goodwill because I don't have to use the iBook store. I absolutely will continue to use the Kindle bookstore, buy books on Amazon because the Kindle reader is 99% of what, you know, the one that's kind of ironic. The one thing it doesn't do, the iBooks application does, like the Kindle itself does, allow you to look up a word by highlighting it and say, look it up in the dictionary. That's a really nice feature. I love it on the Kindle. I love it in the iBook store. It doesn't do it on the Kindle app on the uh, iPad. <laughs> Whoops. There's one thing missing. Isn't that funny? I mean, otherwise, I mean, aesthetically, it's 99% of the way there. It's It's got a nice uh, sepia. Actually, I think that's the iBook store that has sepia, but it has a, I can't remember. But anyway, it's very, uh, very, very legible. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm very pleased with it, and it synchronizes. If I've yes. if I've done if uh, if I've done some reading over on the Kindle app, when I turn on my actual Kindle, it says, "Oh, would you like to go to the furthest plate the furthest point you've read in this book?" It's like, "Oh, that's right, I was reading over on the iPad." Yes. Anyway, I, the iPad is a win. I it's 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 I'm gonna have to figure out how to carry everything <laughs> that I want with me all the time, but I'm 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 loving it, and I'm. You know, I had the the MiFi, and my plan was that I would just use my cheapest iPad with the MiFi. You know, in those instances where I wanted to get on without Wi-Fi availability, and it was because I decided no, I'm going to use this thing too much. And I and I like the AT and T plan. I don't, I do not have a gripe with fifteen dollars a month for two fifty megs. I think that's all I will ever use because I'm not going to be downloading huge things over their network. I could always do Wi-Fi for that. And fifteen bucks a month with no multi-year contract, where you can do month to month to cancel anytime you want. I'm sold. Yeah. Yep. I'm gonna do the thirty because I want unlimited. It's the, by the way, <laughs> apparently is actually unlimited, not five gigabyte unlimited like ah. you do on the other stuff. Nice. Um, one other point just happened moments ago. Amazon has announced they're going to start selling the Kindle in Target, so people will be able to hold a Kindle in their hands. I'll have to go to a Good. Target to do it, but. Good. Yeah, I think that's one way to save it. Well, and I, I mean, they, I don't know if they're probably not listening to this podcast, but <laughs> not anymore than not. But I mean, my point was that was the big problem was that I could just see now that the iPad is here, no one could, no one would be able to physically compare it with a Kindle unless they bought one from Amazon. Amazon's no longer the only valuable reader in town. So I'm really glad to know that they're going to make it available, you know, on, in some physical point of sale. So people can say, oh, you know, this is light and, and I like it and it does. Yep. I mean, if all you want is to read books and newspapers, the, the Kindle is, uh, you know, is the better choice. It's much cheaper, $250. And, um, you know, you get the connectivity, um, the content from Amazon and so forth. But if you want to do anything more, boy, the iPad really nailed it. The other thing missing from the iPad and it, it bugs me is uh, the Kindle does have periodicals. And magazines yes. and newspapers, yes. and you can't do that on the iBook Store, and you can't do it on the Kindle app on any other device. You have to have a Kindle to read those newspapers. And I'd sure love to have. Well, I'm sure we will at some point. We're going to have that kind of thing. I'm well, gonna, and it may be that it's. I mean, I'm excited that the New York Times will be coming out with an app that is the New York Times. In which case, I probably have pretty much what I want if so they do a good job. They with have it. the Editor's Choice application. Uh, right, but which this, is a pruned down it's version. Pruned down, and somebody said or speculated that was because they may have a deal with Amazon not to offer the full New York Times on any other platform. But you said they've announced that they're going to do a uh, yes, a full, yeah, because I would I would subscribe to that. I did, you know, there was a little bait and switch with the Wall Street Journal application because they let us read it for free as subscribers for a couple of days, and then they said, "Now you got to pay, kid." And is it a, is it pay a lot? Yeah, it's pretty expensive. It's that's uh, what I it's thought I remembered. Sixteen or seventeen bucks a month. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I guess it's worth it. It's it's about the same as the paper, paper, I guess. Um, they all yeah. still have ads on there. You know, if they don't have it, if I'm paying for it, I don't want an ad. That's exactly how I feel. One of the reasons I love the Kindle so much is right. that I'm no just ads. getting the content with yeah. no, nothing superfluous. Yeah. Yeah. So I agree with you. All right. Okay, Great to friend. talk to you. We uh, we are in agreement. We've, yep. We've, we've, we've at least yep. figured that out. Thank you, Steve. I'm, I'm in love. <laughs> <laughs> Steve Gibson, GRC.com. We'll see you next week on Security Now. Security Now.